the Jonathan Taves episode. Ooh, I don't know. I go, you go Joe Sackick, Stevie Y. All right. Well, none of them are on here, but uh, we do have a good (laughs) guest as well. But uh, for those of you who've never listened before, I am Trevor Carlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. And uh, we are your, uh, basically who your hosts are for the next uh, however long we've got us. Uh, but um, but yeah, episode 19 definitely could have went with uh, Sackick, Yeiserman. I can't even think of anybody who is 19 on the Devils. Oh, they had Bobby Carpenter during their, uh, their couple okay. years. There you he was, go. He's a good player. First American player to score 50 goals in a year. That's true. Wasn't he? Uh, he was the first overall pick, I'm pretty sure, right? I think somewhere, either first or second, but he was, uh, came right uh, out of high school. Peabody, Peabody, uh, somewhere, I don't, I don't forget, somewhere just on the North Shore of Massachusetts. He was the North Stars, if I remember correctly. I want to Capitals, say. too. Capitals. Yeah, yeah. All right, so there's been some 19s out there, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, episode 19. Um, and uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, basically roster construction and, uh, you know, just kind of finding roles for players uh we are in that time of the year where players are you know things are kind of getting dwindling down a little bit rosters are getting short up um you know coaches are making some decisions but before we get into all that uh coach trimble what's going on in your world uh we starting up our summer camp season so you know i have a little bit of break in the early part of july uh we've started some wolves camps some scoring concepts camps i have a summer team but i kind of function it like like a camp where i do uh practices for a couple days before and then we play a tournament so it's all within about a five six day span so it kind of is a, a camp i don't kind of necessarily love the never-ending summer tournament schedule so we kind of treat it like that like my summer team is basically a, a one-week camp um and that's kind of kind of it here and we're getting close to you know about a month out from our players arriving for the 23 24 season so we're you know putting kids in the billet families. We're pretty close there, and and just getting ready for the year. How about yourself, Trevor? Uh, yeah, we're kind of at that point, uh, like you you know you kind of said where, for me, uh, season will be starting roughly, at least our preseason skates in about a week and a half, um, and then after that, uh, you know tryouts are right around the corner, so uh, be getting ready to get on the ice for that. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. Um, you know, as much as I love my little break here, after a while, it's like, all right, get me back on the ice, doing something that's constructive. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Like, uh, yeah, I don't play men's league or anything like that, but I, I really have a passion for coaching. And when when you take a little break, inevitably, I'm I get a little stir crazy. And after after a while, I want to get back on that ice pretty quick, just like a kid. Yeah, no, I I don't play men's league either anymore, but, but uh, yeah, no, even when I was, it was one of those things where, yeah, you, you just want to get back to the grindstone and, you know, getting in the season, as we've talked about, is always kind of tough for, well, at least, I mean, even for you guys, but, I mean, even for just picking a team that changes year after year, it's it's fun, it's exciting, but it's also ner- a little nerve-wracking because you don't want to be that bad guy of a coach who inevitably has to cut some players, um, you know, even at the junior level. I mean, you got guys that you're probably have already had to make some probably tough decisions or, you know, discussions as well. So we're kind of hitting that point of the year, but, uh, you know, after that, that's when the fun starts. Absolutely. That That's one more thing I am doing currently. So, you know, I'm getting ready for my – season coming up here and i'm 
you know, assisting with or helping out coaching with my son's team. He's a mite. Um, and then I'm, we have a split season team of 16s. I'm going to be coaching that and our EHL premier team. Um, so I'm going to be pretty busy with coaching. So I have an endless stream of safe sport and modules to, uh, to do. Uh, oh, I, have, yeah. I have a might player development model module that I completed this morning. Uh, I can't get to the next page in it. So that's like this weird hiccup within the USA hockey module that, you know, that's a lot of fun. Let me tell you that. Yeah. They're going to make you watch it again. <laughs> yeah. I'm scratch. probably going to start over from that one. And then I have to do the might U8 might model module. So that, that'll, that's thrilling. I'm going to say that that's a thrilling <laughs> module. I'm learning a lot about a lot of stuff. And then the safe sport is always great. Love oh, safe sport. Oh man. What do you got I, this year on your uh, module um, calendar? I want to say that I've actually completed all the modules. So when I was director, um, I had to so that I could step on the bench for any team because I was listed as a head co- well, not a head coach, but I was listed as a coach on any team in the event yep. like where the head coach or an assistant coach couldn't make it or <laughs> whatever. Uh, so, yeah, so I had to take all those. So I don't really think I have anything besides, I want to say safe sports, what? You got to take it every year now? Is that what it is? Yeah, I I had to do like a the full one this time and I, I hadn't done it for a year or two so um it was long it's and it's not i get why they do it it's yeah. just it's like one of those things where it just it sucks as society we have to do that um, correct and uh you know i guess i'll just leave it at that but uh <laughs> yeah the modules you know i mean they're hit or miss I, I again i think there's some good information as we talked about last uh last episode there's some good stuff here and there but it's also some of it's just like okay like repeating the same thing just saying it differently yeah um you know but uh yeah i mean it's uh it's just that time of year gotta get that stuff done especially if you're usa hockey and now with you being uh coaching at that might level you for sure and you gotta wear a helmet now too big changes here big changes (laughs) (laughs) one day at a time yeah (laughs) gotta clear my calendar for all my modules but I'm, i'm i'm staying on top of it i you know i get up and i usually try to you know finish one in the morning so that or, or get a get a head start on it. at least put it in 20 30 minutes so that's that's good definitely what uh quick question for you before we get going i saw recently posted on uh, twitter uh, i'm not gonna even name the, the website that said it because i'm sick of their crap half the time anyways um but there's a comment in there about uh they're talking about t- you know ranking the tier two junior leagues um and there was a and they they left it kind of open, ambiguous. I guess would be the proper way of saying it on how you want to interpret what they're writing. But the comment was that the NA is probably one of the better, is probably the best junior league in North America. What were your what What are your thoughts when you hear someone say that? Well, I mean, we definitely have a great guest today. Um, who's going to speak to us about the North American League a little bit and the style of play. I think the North American League style of play is very different than some of the other leagues, especially the USHL and the BCHL, which I think are a little bit more high-end skilled leagues, whereas the NA is a, it's a real meat and potatoes league very much. Uh, it's a, it's a you know, not to be like a crude or anything, but it's a kind of, it's a, it's a big boys league. Um, so the style of play is different than a lot of those other leagues. So it's in some ways it's comparing you know, apples to oranges. Um, but, uh, you know, those rankings, I really struggle with those rankings because it's like every different team 
of every different league you're evaluating with a different criteria. You, you say the lower end leagues, oh, they place kids here, uh, but their college commitments aren't here. But this league's way up here because its college commitments are so high. Um, so I, I really think when you're comparing um, leagues, it's, it's the criteria we have to evaluate is what is the purpose of junior hockey? The purpose of junior hockey is for next level advancement. It's a go-between stage in a kid's athletic career uh, after high school or after youth hockey before they get to college or professional hockey. So that should be the only metric that really matters is where you're placing kids and where you're, you know, if you're getting kids onto the next level of hockey. And in, in that criteria, I think the North American League at the Tier 2 level certainly is in the top three. I would say that. And again, don't get me wrong. I'm not, in no way am I bashing the NA because it is. It's, I, I think it's the best Tier 2, um, you know, league in North America, let's put it that way. Um, but when I read, you know, I got to get, I got to stop living next to the racetrack. Um, <laughs> but when I read that, it was just like in North America, that's, you know, I'm, I'm looking at USHL, OHL, WHL, and there's a lot of talent in those leagues. And again, I'm not trying to knock them down a peg, but it's like, that's a really big leap in my opinion. But uh, no, it's just like I said, just curious to what your thoughts were on it. And, I think uh, the, the most underrated league in North America is the AJ, the Al- Alberta. You know, the Alberta Junior Hockey League is a phenomenal league. You have so many good players, not just at the collegiate level, but Cal McCarr played in that league. Like you have right. stud NHL players who played in that league, and you do have you know good NHL players who play in the, in the North American League. But um, that's one of the most underrated leagues that you know, people in the U S don't really even talk about. No, for sure. Definitely. You know, and it'll be very interesting to see how things work out this year, especially for the BCHL with how they're with everything that's going on with them leaving, you know, hockey Canada and doing all their own stuff. And cause that's another league that's always been kind of notorious Absolutely. for taking, you know, players that want to stay in Canada, but want to also keep their, you know, academic eligibility to play NCAA hockey. And that's usually where you would find them. Um, you know, Kyle, I remember Kyle Turris was coming, was drafted straight out of there before he went to Wisconsin. Um, so it's, it, it, it'll be interesting. It'll be, it'll be an interesting year for, uh, junior hockey. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, kind of getting into the, the nuts and bolts of this, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, basically team composition, team building. Um, what are your thoughts on that coach? I mean, you're. You're right now is getting through that. Uh, like I said, you're right in the meat and potatoes. Of, oh, you said meat and potatoes, but you're right in it, into it. So, I mean, like, uh, you know, shed some light on that. Sure. Well, I think a lot of times you know, the, the term team building is it's two different things. When, once you have the team, how are you going to make a cohesive unit out of that team? That's team building. Like with, um, with when, when your players arrive and how are you going to make them fit together into, a, into an ideal puzzle? But team building or team construction is where the players fit once you recruit them, where you can fit them into that team concept. Um, because there's it's a 60-minute game. It's a zero-sum game. If, if one kid gets more ice time, it takes away from another kid's ice time. Uh, not everybody can be on the power play. Not everybody can be on the penalty kill. You have to find the right roles for players, and you have to find the right fits within the, that, that locker room. And I think that's an overlooked part of the process. You know, this time of the year, a lot of kids are you know, pursuing the North American League dream or some of the Canadian Tier 2, uh, that dream up in, up in Canada. Uh, and what they miss on is, is, is they'll look across the locker room and they'll say, well, I can skate as well as that kid. I'm as good as that kid. 
Why am I not getting on this roster? And it's all the other intangibles. It's the the kid who's a, a jack, you know, jack of all trades who can who can play on, in a middle six role and doesn't be doesn't sulk on the bench when he's put into a fourth line role, or who can play up sometimes, who has enough skill and speed to play in your top six, or a kid who's good off the ice or good in the locker room. Um, those things really matter when you're putting together a roster. Um, and I think it's really overlooked and it's something you don't think about when you're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, but when you're 30 or 40 and you're putting together the team for yourself, it makes a big difference. And you're really thinking about that, um, where players fit into your roster. What do you think, Trevor? I think you kind of really hit the nail on the head with, you know, and I like how you phrased it as, you know, you know, team, you know, construction team, you know, built. We're, we are always trying to, you know, team build, but it's more or less, you know, the construction of your roster. And as you said, you, you mean you hit it on the head with that you're always going to have kids that, you know, they're top six players, they're top line. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're sublime, you're sub, you're supreme players. But then it's how do I build around them? And it's what do you want for your team? Um, how are you going to, you know, which kids are going to make it? Um, I think. Great, we just had a great interview. Um, and the one thing that really you know stood out to me was what did he say? Something like over a hundred kids try out for their main at during their main camp at the Nordiques. And I know you and I were, I mean, when I heard that, I was like, holy cow, um, it's a lot of kids, but um, you know, that's really no, granted, they got off to a late start, um, so that that you had to kind of go that route. But talk about trying to have to you know find comb that whole all those players. I mean, it's a lot of kids to try and build your team around. Um, so as a player, you've got to really, you know, set yourself apart. But for as a coach, it's really, okay, well, what, what can this kid do? What can he do now? What can he do it towards the end of the season? Is he a one-way player? Is he two-dimensional? Can I make him two-dimensional? Can he, you know, so I think a lot of, uh, you know, that's kind of the fun part, though, about being a coach is building that, you know, constructing that team. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, it's one of those things where I always thought it was funny, you know, reading like, oh, how did Team Canada get picked, uh, you know, for the Olympics or this and that. Because, I mean, again, you're talking about guys like <laughs> you're leaving off guys who are top end players for, you know, Team Canada who, I mean, you could put two Team Canadas together and they'd probably, the second team would probably finish number two, um, if not number one. I mean, you never know depending on the year. So, it's always interesting to read about how those teams are picked. I mean, I read uh, for my birthday. I was I got the book on the uh, 1972 um, uh, Super Series, and it was just talked about how like that the construction of that team, how you know they went about building it, and what players were taken. And we're talking about guys that were you know fit, you know point per game players back in the 70s who were just like no. Nah. We're going to go and uh, take the guys who, uh, you know, a young Bobby Clark who wasn't even a point-per-game guy yet. Yep. And, you know, Henderson, who, uh, who was, but, he, you know, he wasn't fully, you know, he wasn't, you know, he was no Bobby Hull who couldn't play anyways, but that's besides the point. Um, so it's it's interesting reading how they build those. And I've always, I've always been interested in how team construction gets made. So I think it's, uh, I think it's a fun area of being a coach. Um but definitely for a player, it can be tough to navigate because, as you said, you know, what do I have to do to stand out? What do I have to prove that I can be in that? And what is the coach even looking for? Absolutely. Well, you know, you bring up that that 72 series, and um, they did a, uh, a bunch of pieces on 
on uh, NHL Network. I listened to it on Sirius XM, not to plug them too much, but uh, so I listened yeah, they to that. They haven't paid us new, yet. They had, <laughs> they had that new book come out, and the, uh, I think the author was talking about it, and he said that um, you know they did some of the modern analytics with the game footage from that series, and Harry Sinden played a lot of that line, that Bobby Clark... Um, Henderson line, and there was another player in line I can't remember, but those guys yeah. were young and they could skate and they could forecheck and they could create turnovers. And he said that actually that the analytics, even though they didn't have that technology in 1972, that all those metrics were like on point with they deserved more ice time because they were the most effective players. It wasn't like he was playing favorites; he was playing the guys who were the most effective guys on the ice. And it's kind of funny to look back you know, 50 years later at um, what that what that really spelled out for that team and how effective that line was. One one of the guys we used to have um, at our training camp, we did it for about two years. Uh, now he's at UNH and he can't do it. Um, he's the assistant coach there. His name is Jeff Giuliano. Uh, he went to our Wolves uh, training camp for a couple of years and did some on-ice skills when he was a coach um, for a different program. Uh, and he was a great guy and he was awesome to interact with the kids. And he would know do like an hour seminar about some of the things he's experienced in pro hockey and he said that um basically what you're talking about like that he was a player he played prep school in new hampshire and then he played uh at boston college uh then he played minor pro for a long time but he got to the nhl because he was willing to change his style you know the the big scorer at boston college now he gets to play pro hockey he couldn't do the same stuff so he had to become a checker he had to learn how to take face-offs and he learned how to learn to be a really defensively responsible and he played hundreds of games in the nhl with the with the kings because he was willing to do that and kids have to ask themselves if i want to get on this roster i'm not tendered i'm not drafted i'm not a returner in the north american league they already have those spots locked up they invested in those kids how am i going to get on this roster if i'm just out there trying to toe drag and you know do stuff like that and you know maybe i maybe i get one or two goals but I'm, I'm not playing on both sides of the puck, it's going to be really difficult for me to make this roster because those top six roles are sealed up. So you right. have to find a role. I mean, those coaches, they'll be hunting you down, but that's to send you to their Tier 3 affiliate because you know they're going to want you to get more seasoning there and not up at the Tier 2 level. Um, but no, it's funny that you say that because... Um, you, I mean, anybody can go on Elite Prospects and look at all the juniors, um, you know, the stats through any of the leagues. And, you know, the players that put up these huge numbers and then end up, you know, you, you sit there and you go, well, why didn't they make it in the NHL? And it's like, well, it's because they, they only knew how to play one side of the puck. And when you got up to those levels, they weren't, you know, they were good, but they weren't the best of those. You know, you got to be, we're talking about top two lines at, you know, back in the nineties or early two thousands. It's really where, you know, it's only been recently where teams have had those, you know, huge, you know, you're basically, you're, you had running four lines. Um, but those lines, you know, your top two lines, like if you didn't, weren't skilled enough, like you had to be a checker. And if you were, weren't a checker, you had to be a guy who could basically play a uh, fist meet face with somebody else. <laughs> and if you couldn't do that, you're, that's why you were back in the AHL or the IHL. So it's, uh, now the game is definitely skewed a little bit more towards the skill, but, uh, you still gotta be able to play, you know, the full 200 feet. Um, and again, I mean, look at the top guys in the league, McDavid, he's, a, he's a solid defensive player. 
Um, McKinnon, he's a he's a great defense player. Sidney Crosby is probably one of the best defensive players. And again, you know, Patrice Bergeron, another, you know, there's a reason why the guy, they might as well rename the Selkie after him. So, <laughs> but do uh, you want to jump here into our interview and uh, let the guests know who we got? Yeah, before we do that real quick, I just want to, um, you know, I think it's one of the great things you mentioned in terms of like those international teams. Um, and that's kind of, that'll be a little before we get to Nick, but um I always think of like the guys in the American team for like 10 years, they had Joel Otto always on all those teams. Yeah. You know, six yep. foot four. He was the fourth line center. He could win like every face off. Uh, and you know, there were probably 20 other Americans who could score, who were higher scorers in the NHL than him. But he got on that international roster because he had found a role. Same exactly. thing with remember Rob Zaminer. Remember he played on the Canadian yep. Olympic team, uh, maybe 98 or something like that on that yeah. really star-studded roster with like Gretzky and all those guys and it's because he could play up and down he could be physical he could win puck battles he could kill penalties and if you're giving all your minutes to just like if, if Mario has to Mario or Wayno has to play every single minute right he's not I mean he's not going to be as effective so you need to have other guys find roles oh for sure no and I mean as you said you know you've got those guys that are you know, I swallow their pride. And even now, I mean, with the game, how it is with so many more, again, two-way players, you know, I'm a hometown guy. Uh, well, home time for me isn't played for the Blackhawks, but I mean, look, look at Jonathan Taves. Like, there's a guy who on any international team could play up and down the lineup. He had no, pr- I mean, yeah, would the guy probably want to play in the first two lines? Absolutely. Did he play on? Yeah, yeah he did for sure, but... I think when they won the cup, uh, or not the cup, but the Olympic gold medal, I think he was like the center of the third or fourth line. Yeah. Um, you know, but and there's a guy who he swallowed his pride, and because he was so good defensively, um, you know, he made those teams. And again, so as the game's changed, and I think it's for the better where we're teaching, you know, players like, hey, you've got to be at least good on both sides. And again, some, some players just won't ever get that and understand it. Some will. Um, you know, we hope they do because then that makes our jobs a little bit easier as coaches, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I, you look at, yeah, as you said, Joel Otto, Sam, uh, Zomner, um, God, there was another one who made it and you're just like, what, really him? And then you're like, okay, well, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he, he's a great penalty killer. Yeah. He's going to take off some of that pressure from, you know, all these other guys. But yeah, no, I, uh. I think it's uh, definitely we're in that time that, you know, where, it, I don't know, we're a good time to be for those, you know, to, as coaches to be teaching players how to play on both sides of the puck. And honestly, it opens up more doorways for you, not only whether it's, you know, starting off in youth hockey up to juniors through all the way up to college to even professionals. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good transition to turn it over to one of the youngest head coaches and the new head coach for the Maine Nordiques in the North American Hockey League. Nick Skurlick. So I'm just going to start recording right now. We'll start whenever, but Seems... but we, I will, we'll edit it, obviously. Awesome. So, but, uh, okay. Man, whenever you're ready, Trevor. All right, I'll go right into it. All right, so welcome to the podcast, Nick Skurlick. Nick is the new general manager and head coach for the Maine Nordiques in the North American Hockey League. He has an extensive playing and coaching resume, and he's moved up the ladder really quickly to become one of the head, youngest head coaches in all of the North American Hockey League. 
Welcome to the podcast, Nick. And thanks, thanks for having me, guys. I' super excited to to talk about the uh, the big changes up in Maine and 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 what our, our plan is to to build out uh, the most competitive team we can create up in Lewiston, and uh, and obviously knowing Coach Trimble here for for quite some time playing for Coach Trimble, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> well, that's that's high praise, my friend. High praise. Um, now that's really what we want to talk about is because because you um. You know, a lot, this is that time of the year where a lot of kids are trying to get onto North American Hockey League rosters and find their way through junior hockey. Um, but, you know, you're looking for a specific type of player. What kind of player are you looking for who play Nordiques hockey? What is Nordiques hockey? So, uh, and that's a great question. I think I think at the, the level of the NHL all the way down to, uh, you know, Tier 1 hockey at the squirt level, I, I think depending on – who is coaching the team? It's the brand changes. Um, I, I don't. I, we don't want to change our culture. I think the culture of Nordic hockey has been great. Uh, family first, community first. Um, we, we want people who embody their teammates, uh, the fans, their billets, and that, and I think that's the first thing we do look for is actually the off ice features of every player. Um, you know, we got to make sure they are a good person, they are trustworthy, reliable. Uh, on the ice, um, North American League is a good skating league. Every division is, is super quick. Uh, you got to be able to skate, right? So I think that's the first piece uh, that every coach in, in the North American League is looking for. Uh, but what I think we're going to try to differentiate ourselves with this year's team is we want we want to be heavy uh, and, we, and we want the size. And if you look at our tenders and our draft picks, I believe of the seven or eight forwards we've, we're bringing in, everyone's over six foot one or six foot two, uh, and can score. Uh, I think the East Division is a very quick division. It's very structured. Um, you don't see a lot of the, what the South brings, which is a heavy playing style. So we're going to try to infuse a little bit of a, a Southern Division type of team in terms of heaviness, but uh, add a skill element. So the big the big kids who who may not be the fastest. Um, are making our team right now is as long as they, they can show they could finish checks and stop on pucks and stop at the net. Uh, and it sounds so simple, uh, but there's so many good players out there. There's so many good players out there. Even at our main camp, we saw 160 players. I bet you 104 of them will you know play in the North American league. We actually counted uh, you know all the kids from 07 to 03 of kids who have a real shot to play in this league. Um, but you know, when you have that many kids, you really have to simplify uh, who does who does the, the the specifics better than anybody else? Uh, but we definitely uh, definitely went for some big big boys, six foot one, six foot two, and uh, definitely some experience as well this year. Um, we have a lot of returners too, and I think that that is always going to give you a chance to be a, a championship caliber team uh, with eleven boys returning for for next season. That's over half the rosters returning. Um, you know, so if, if any player can do those, those few simple things, and they do it really well. Um, they have a real good chance to make the Nordiques. Well, that's great stuff, Nick. I think a lot of kids, when they look at, you know, their opportunity in the North American league, they can do the compare contrast at a main camp and say like, well, I'm good as this guy, or I can skate as well as this kid, but you know, hitting on those intangibles, like you talked about, like hitting on what kind of player they are off the ice, where they fit within the roster. Uh, those things are really critical if you want to get to that level. Uh, now, speaking about that, like you said, you have a lot of returners, but then you've also, you know, you've gone through the drafting and tendering process to round out your roster. Like, let's say, 
you know, you have a kid who's coming from double-A hockey and he maybe was a really top-end kid and he has potential. Uh, does that kid have a shot at the North American League or are you looking more for that bottom-end kid who can be a 20-year-old and get a college commitment this year? Where are you kind of looking for your players um, for planning for your future? Uh, I think, and I think that's, that's the trick, the tricky question for all 32 teams in the league. Uh, I, I didn't realize it was, it was amazing how many times we called the kid and they've already been spoken, speaking, sorry, they've already been speaking to another team in our league. And, and I looked at coach Shelley, who will be our associate head coach uh, with me this year. He was at, he was the assistant coach last year. And, you know, I was kind of defeated. It was my first time going through this process. And he goes, man, we're hitting on the right kids. If everyone else is talking to the, these kids, we're obviously hitting on the right ones. And, and so when you ask that question of, of where are you getting kids from, um, we don't want to reinvent the wheel, but we, kinda, we, we really look to be unique in terms of we want to call a kid and be the first call. Uh, and, and, and there are some diamonds in the rough. There really are. Uh, I, I would say just because we do believe we're pushing for a championship team this year um, this, with all those returners, most of our kids will come from uh, the CJHL, uh, experienced junior A players. Uh, the 18U level is, is a huge um, team building uh, recruit, you know, level to recruit for. If you can get a couple players off the 18U, uh, whether, it's, whether it's tier two, uh, high school, uh, AAA, high-end AAA, whatever it is, that's going to always be the core of your team. Those are going to be the players I think you're going to have for two or three years. Um, you know, we look at the CSDHL, like that Central States League out in, in Chicago, and there's there's so many good players in that league uh, that are unheard of. Uh, the Illinois high school ranks are, are phenomenal. We just won the Chowder Cup this past weekend. We had two kids on the championship winning team from Chicago high schools. So we are kind of looking for uh, players at any any particular level. Um, you know, and there are diamonds in the rough out there because it's really hard when you do run into that kid from the BCHL or the Alberta Junior Hockey League, which is the two leagues the uh, North American League loves to fish in. But when they're speaking to 12 other NA teams, it's getting that kid to leave those leagues, but it's also getting him to leave that league and coming to play for us. So I'd like to have a little bit more time this season having a uh, an eight-month recruiting window as opposed to uh, four weeks because that was all we had to tender and draft was four weeks. It wasn't even a full four weeks. I, I'm interested to see where we can dig some kids out of uh, that you know typical organizations are not fishing out of. And, and we've kind of already laid that ground process uh, with the program out of the Washington, D.C. area. It was an incredible uh, 18U AA program. Um, we saw them play a couple times at Chowder Cup this weekend, and I was like, wow. Uh, these kids can fly just because they don't have three A's in front of their names that are two does not, does not wash them off the board for us. That's great stuff. And uh, before I turn it over to Trevor, I got one more question for you, Nick. Um, you know, having gone back with you a little while here and knowing kind of your playing career and how you were kind of a late bloomer. Um, what is a success story about a kid who's maybe come up through the 16s and 18s with the main Nordiques and that you're really proud of? What's a kind of a, a late bloomer kid, maybe like yourself, who um, is a good success story? Oh, you, you, that's probably the best question I've been asked in, since uh, me <laughs> becoming the head coach of the Maine Nordiques. And no, no one's ever asked that type of question. Um, we have a kid named Camden Sharon. Well, you know, you know, this is what I do, buddy. <laughs> no, this is a great question because it's, 
it's the same it's the same energy I try to give Division One schools for the past two, three years, and we've had some serious looks on this young man, but Camden Sharon uh is is a player from southern Maine, uh just just north of actually he's just around the Portland area. And when we started our academy up in Maine, uh, we actually had a really good 16 AAA team. We, we didn't rank well, but if you look at that roster, there's two boys in the USHL, one, one in the Q, the Q uh, another player who played in the OHL. There was, there was four really high-end O4s on that team. And uh, we added a kid from, uh, I, believe, I believe he was coming up from a Bantam A team. And uh, Cam Robichaud, who's actually the head coach of the New Hampshire Mountain Kings now, was the one who brought him in and coach Cam Cam was coaching our 16U team. And he told me about a kid coming up from Baname and I go, Cam, are you crazy? Like I, I saw the kid, he's very undersized. He had hit 0% of puberty and I go, Cam, he's going to get killed. He's going to get killed out there. There's no freaking way he can do this. First game. I will never forget. We're playing Westchester. We get a power plate 18 seconds in within 25 seconds. He had scored his first goal playing a year up as a 15 year old. So I'm like, okay, let's let's watch this kid. Um, he ended up becoming probably a top three defenseman as the youngest kid on our, our our initial 16U team. And it wasn't until the next season when I realized how good he was becoming. We tied Mount St. Charles uh, 4-4. He had four points from the back end. And uh, we had a coach named Cole Bell, who's the assistant coach at Stevenson. And Cole Bell was telling everyone, this is a USHL kid and I actually kind of agreed with him at the time and we just couldn't get anyone to bite on him. Cause he didn't, he's not a big kid. He's not ultra fast. Um, but this year, I believe a couple schools and, and for sure a lot of NA teams started opening their eyes at the 18 U level when he, I think he finished with 45, 46 points as a defenseman. Uh, he had a plus 50 rating, which is ridiculous. He had a top 25 schedule this year and I knew I was getting the job, but I could not tender anybody. So trying to keep him from not tendering with anyone else was, was incredibly hard, and, and they, the family had to trust us. Uh, but this kid came out of Baname, played two years of 16, was our captain our second year, and captain our 18U team this year, which is historically a top 20 program. Uh, as a first year 18, most of the team was 04s this year, and he was the captain as an 05. Uh, and I just I think this kid, you know, maybe not the first 10, 15 games, but I bet you by about mid-October, everyone's going to really start to know who he is for the first time, um, you know, na- nationally, right? I, I try to tell people all the time, they're like, who is that kid? And I'm like, hey, man, he's, he is our, he's our royalty up in Maine. He's, he's an awesome kid, and that makes it so much easier, too, when we talk about our human beings off the ice. Uh, this, this kid and this family are second to none. They're incredible people, and he's really deserving of this opportunity, so... Definitely keep an eye out on uh, Camden Sharon. He's a left shot D D man that will be on our blue line this season. Oh, that's awesome, Nick. Trevor, what do you got for him? Uh, yeah, so I mean, it was uh, actually hearing you say that you found uh, you know some players out here from the Chicagoland area. I was kind of like, wow, really? Because we don't see it uh, too often out here. Um, you know, just with everything, you know, we've got so much of a split. Um, you know how how do you find those players again? You're with you being in Maine. How are you able to, um, like I said, add those players to your team? Uh, and I think the recruiting process for our academy is really what starts everything. Uh, and you know, without without roasting anybody, I mean, there's so many high level junior programs that have these midget programs, uh, and, and you get kids to to come play for your your midget team, and and then you never really talk to them, and they end up playing. 
uh, for another junior program. Like, you know, you, you pass on those kids a lot. Uh, a lot of our kids from that area actually start with our, our 16U coach, Joe Lascaro, um, who brings kids in for the 16U team that haven't ever played AAA. Our 16U team was never going to win a national championship. We know that. But what it, is, what it does allow for players to do is develop at a, at a much quicker pace because we're, we're not playing to, you know, we're not playing to be the top 10 teams. We're playing to, to get 10, 11 forwards and five or 60 on the ice as much as possible. And, and so Joe does a nice job. And Joe is from Chicago. He runs a skills in the summer out there, but he also recruits his 16U team um, from Chicago. And, 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 you know, getting those kids to our academy as a 16U, it's, it's stressful because, you know, parents make it harder when the team's not winning 40 out of their 55 games. Uh, things come a little bit easier when you win. I think everyone can agree to that. Um, <laughs> but watching a kid, and I'll give you another one. We had uh, Declan Raby and, and Damian Calzada were our two Chicago kids this year. And when we got them, we liked a couple things about them. But by the end of the year, I'm offering these kids 18U contracts. And, and again, our 18U team is a, is a pretty high-level team. There's no way in, in hell these kids would have made our team if they didn't get the opportunity uh, at a 16U level. It didn't have to just be with the Nordiques, but anywhere where they can actually play. They're not sitting on the bench as third, fourth line guys on a top 10, top 15 team. So, you know, finding kids from Chicago, um, the Midwest, Wisconsin, those areas, it really does start with our 16U program in the academy. Sometimes we get those kids later at 18U. Um you know, we have a, a, a kid named Jason Bonick. He's been with us for four years. I, I love Jason, the maker NA team after this year. It'll be his fourth year. And he was with the Chicago mission and team Illinois. So, um, you know, I think the scouts we have do a pretty good job at identifying players, uh, but it's a lot easier to mold the person we want on our NA team when we can get him into our Academy. And we certainly use our Academy. Uh, we'll probably take five kids every year from our 18s or our 16s and put them on our NA the following season. Well, that Nick, I, any fi- final parting shots that uh, you want to you know, say to the, the folks at home who are listening to this about, uh, you know, expectations for the year? I think, I think, I mean, hockey is such a small world and I'm sure there's people, there's people out there and it's, we won't even use me for this, this comment, but you always kind of scratch your head or you put on a big smile when, when, you know, people get a certain opportunity, players, coaches, equipment managers, even, even bus drivers, you know, sometimes you hear about the team bus driver going to drive an NHL team next season, wherever they go. Uh, I think the expectation that, you know, I think the main Nordiques players, uh, staff, new ownership, you know, we have a new ownership here in Maine. I, I think we really want to not change too, too much. Um, but we definitely want to. We definitely want to have a brand. We want our 16s, our 18s, and obviously, most importantly, our North American League team to just play the to play the same style of hockey. And, and kind of when you see that Nordique logo, you know what you're going to expect. And, and we're hoping to to for the first time have all three three teams this year be elite level. And, and I think having an NA staff recruit the academy um, is gonna is gonna really make that transition simple and easy. Um, but you know, I, I do think it will be a fun team to watch. And, and if you're going to be watching from home, I, you know, I hope uh, we get nothing but praise and, and, and fans rooting for us. That's for sure. Well, that's great stuff, Nick. And once again, uh, I'd like to say congratulations for getting the, the, the opportunity. I know you're going to do really well. You've uh, you climbed the ladder and had success at every single step of that ladder. So congratulations and looking forward to a great season of Nordiques hockey. Well, thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate this.
All right. Well, we want to say thank you to Nick for coming on the podcast. Uh, he was an excellent interview, and I think he's going to do some great things in, in Maine with his Nordique squads because he's you know recruiting all those teams. So that's really great. Uh, Trevor, tell me about some of the feedback you got from, uh, from Nick. Well, again, thanks, Nick, for coming on. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. I, the fact, uh, you know, I love the fact that how they had such a great plan, um, especially with only having, you said, what, four weeks to really recruit. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't know the full backstory on how that hap- how that worked out. Um, I'm assuming, did they move up from the NA3 to the NA, or were they an expansion team this year? No, they've had a North American League. They did have an NA3 team. Uh, but that's going back about four or five years. Uh, Nick was the, one of their academy coaches. I believe he was coaching their 18s or 16s uh, the last couple of years, and they had really good, really good teams. Um, but they went through a new ownership. Uh, they had a great coach there, Matt Pinchevsky, really good guy, um, and they decided to turn the reins over to Nick. Um, this is, I believe, their fourth year in the North American Hockey League. Okay. So I was just trying to – I couldn't remember, and I didn't ask. I should have um... – I didn't know, but you never know. It might be a hot button uh, question to ask, but, uh, you know, why he only had those four weeks. But whatever the reason, I mean, I liked how they had a plan. And the one thing I really liked was how he said that, again, you're talking about someone who's a first-year head coach in the NA, which is not an easy league to get into as a coach. I mean, he's not even 30 yet. Uh, Yeah, that's Trevor DeCarlo, your cyber stalker (laughs) of the day. Um, But, uh, you know, he's not even 30 years old yet. And he's got all these kids coming out to these, uh, you know, he's got first main, you know, trial camp uh, or main camp. And the one thing I really liked that he said was that he, how he put it was that they were on the right track with the kids that they were calling. Was that, you know what, they liked them and so did everybody else. So it wasn't like, you know, he he was hitting it, doing his job. He was finding those right kids. And now the, the tough tough part is selling the program over the other ones um but i did like you know especially for somebody like that to recognize that and for everybody to kind of as he said him and his assistant coach was like hey we're doing something right here so um you know i really took the, i like that uh you know and again i really liked hearing how he was building his roster uh you know big kids and i actually i looked the average size right now from returning this season is like six one 176 pounds uh so that's uh it's not a small team but um no i mean i i got a lot out of just you know again the recruiting aspect and building the team because again with such a short amount of time that i can't imagine i don't know if i could be able to handle that stress to do that absolutely yeah it's it's not that's not an easy job to take over but uh he's he's such a good recruiter and this is he's so passionate about it he's going to do well one of the things i really liked about it and we kind of talked about it earlier in terms of those dream teams is the 92 dream team the basketball basketball dream team mm-hmm. they left a player off that roster who they thought would be a deterrent and would be a cancer to some of the other players who the other players didn't want to play with them uh you know you had a lot of guys from chicago who didn't want to play with those pistons guys and uh <laughs> you know isaiah thomas just wasn't a good fit character wise in that locker room and he he talked about you know, when they're recruiting a kid, they want to know all the, the nuts and bolts and they want to make sure that the kid is the right character fit for that locker room. And, you know, you're 17, 18 years old. You're not necessarily thinking about that stuff. You may hear it from coaches, but boy, does it matter. You know, you can have the ability, you can have the uh, the skill, but if, if you're going to screw up that locker room by not being a good teammate, 
you're not going to have a home for long. No, absolutely not. And, and the hockey world is a small world, and other teams will find out. So if you think, oh, okay, well, you know what? I mean, there are definitely teams that will give you second chances, but if you really mess up or whatever, you know, and you're released by a team, you better bet your ass that the GM or the head coach or the next team that you're going or trying to get onto, they're going to make some phone calls, and they're going to try and find out what's the deal with, you know, Bill Brown over here, why can't, you know, why'd he get cut by the team, you know, and, well, it's because he's got a crap attitude. You know, I cut his minutes, and he threw his shit all over the bench and threw, you know, whatever, you know, so, um, no, yeah, it's, uh, again, it's, you want those right character kids. I think, you know, I, I think one of the first things you look for, especially at those older, older ages is who are they as, you know, off the ice, who are they on the ice? And again, you know, we talked about it just in the interview, you know, who are they on and off? We want to make, you want to make sure you got good kids for you with the wolves. You want to make sure you've got good kids. You don't want to bring in a kid who's a cancer, who's a, um, not even a cancer, but somebody who's just not a good, just has has a bad attitude. Um, you know that 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 makes it difficult for not only the team because now, but you know as coaches and you got to put your focus on that kid. It's like sometimes it feels like you're babysitting that kid. Yes. Um, and again, like you don't have time for it. He doesn't have time for it. Um, you know, I got nine U's and I don't even have time for it. I mean, I will, you know, <laughs> but that's just just how it goes. So. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very interesting how again I, I really enjoyed hearing about how you know within four weeks how they've tr- been able to try and reconstruct a r- roster. Granted, they had returning players, tenders, and stuff like that, but still, it's not an easy job to do. Absolutely, you know it's funny we had a kid this year, uh, and I won't mention names, and um, but at the end of the season he had missed another practice, uh, and he had missed a lot of practices and bum, bum, the coach <laughs> i know like that wah, wah. yeah uh, <laughs> the coach uh the of the team we were going over a little bit and he scrolled down and showed me on his phone and it was like every single excuse in the world he used up i think he actually remained repeated ones toward the end like his grandmother died his dog and <laughs> dog died his cat died he had the flu he had covid he had uh, uh nag like his hurt his wrist playing pickleball hockey equipment yeah he lost his (laughs) hockey equipment on the train like it was it was it was wild and we got to a point where you know i had a couple colleges where he was applying to college and and they were following up with us and how can i advocate for that kid i mean he's not a bad human being but how can i say like oh you should definitely take this kid he missed 20 days of practice this year like right so kids just do yourself a favor like if you sign up to play hockey Show up. Right. No. Do the I, work. And it's funny you say that because I've said that to I said it to the kids last year that I coached. Was that, you know, again, I knew we were tier two, but kind of like on like tier two level B and not level A. And I told the kids, I go, next year when you've got coaches, you know, asking me, oh how if they do, they don't, but if they do, you know, how did again, how did you know this kid do? How did how did skater A do? How did skater B do? I go, if you think I'm going to lie to them and say, oh, yeah, they really worked hard, had no issues when you were one of the laziest kids on the ice, you got another thing coming because I only get my word, and I'm not going to break, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole Scarface uh, quote there, but uh, I'm not going to break my word and, you know, lie for you. You know, 
I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say, yeah, the kid was lazy. You know what? He's got skill. He's got talent. Maybe you can knock the sense into him. I couldn't, but, you know, <laughs> but if not, then this is what you're going to end up having. So, you know, I, I think it's funny you said that because, again, as I said, it's a small hockey world. And Absolutely. as coaches, you know, we got to be honest. I, I don't want to sell somebody, you know, another coach, a problem that I had. You know, it's just not my style. Now, if I don't really like you, which – yeah, maybe I I wouldn't do it. No, I won't. I'll be honest. <laughs> but no, coach, awesome. uh, so we got uh, five myths today, and uh, of course you picked it. And then I gotta try and scramble to figure it out what it is. And of course you took the easy one, so uh, dagger yeah. to the heart, Trev. Dagger Sorry. to the heart. I mean, you did take the easy ones. The first three, literally the first three things I thought of was you got one. Three and five. I was like, son of a bitch. I was like, <laughs> got to okay, flip it thanks. up, man. You got the next one. I promise. No, okay. No, it's all right. I was, uh, yeah. Well, okay, maybe. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so this week we've got the five myths on uh, selecting slash building a team. Um, and I think it's kind of important for everybody to kind of understand players, parents, um, even coaches, just kind of the different things of, you know, what are myths, what we think are myths. And, uh, you know, maybe if you don't think they're myths, let us know. Uh, maybe we'll talk to you. Maybe we won't. But, uh, Coach, <laughs> what, what do you got number for number one? Number one is you take the most skilled players. Uh, Always. That, <laughs> that's kind of a layup. Like, you're not here to build a, um, you know, you saw those, like, you know, if you watch the movie Miracle, you're not recruiting the best players. You're recruiting the right players. Yeah, you son of a bitch. That was going to be what I was taking. Ah, I mean, you I'm killing you. I took am, it. I am literally pulling the rug out as we speak right underneath you. Yep. Sorry, my, my myths were different. But when you say that, that was uh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. Um, and that that's what it is. You know, you you want to find if if your goal is to be the best team, well, then you have to recruit the best players for that team, not just the best players. And Absolutely. it's not just about skill. You have, like I said, it's a zero sum game. There's only sixty minutes in a game, so you have to find minutes for everyone on that roster, and they have to all find ways to contribute. And that's when you have the strongest teams is when everybody's pulling on the same rope. And uh, not everybody's going to be in the power play. Not everybody's going to be the penalty kill. Not everybody's going to be uh, the guy used in the shootout. But if you've if you got a good team and you have an understanding of your roles and responsibilities, everybody can find a place. No, yeah. And again, I mean, like I said, I agree. The, the, the miracle quote there, um, you know, that's always used when I've had, even in the past where I've had people come up to me, you know, other coaches say, you know, really, you know, Say I got to choose between one kid or the other, and maybe the other kid's just slightly more talented. Um, but you know what? I know he's got a little bit more of an attitude that just hasn't worked out, or whatever the circumstances are. I know the other kid, you know what? He's going to work harder, not as talented. But you know, again, you just sit there and you're like, look, I'm not trying to build the, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the right players, not the best players. You know, the, I'm trying to make the right team, you know, so. I agree with you there. Uh, number two, let me pull it up here. Um, I think with uh, roster construction is one of those things is uh, what you see is what you get. Um, and I think a lot of coaches, and this is more on the youth side, but even on the junior side, um, we have to remember that all players are still developing until they hit a certain, you know, in their 20s almost, roughly. But a lot of coaches take what they see in that moment and they, you know, they they take that and they use that as okay. This is how I'm gonna. This is one of the kid I'm gonna take. Instead of thinking long term of, 
you know, where's the kid now? That's where a lot of coaches are at. Okay, this kid's great. He's got great hands. But what about the other kid who has more potential? Now it's up to you as a coach. How far can I get them from point A to point B? It's not, we don't we don't go point A the whole season. You know, there has to be growth for all players. Maybe some grow a lot, some grow a little. And I'm talking about like skill-wise, but even physical maturity-wise, either way. At the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're looking at it from, you know, where can I get this player from the very first practice to the very last game of the season? And I think we lose sight of that. Um, and I think a lot of teams and coaches lose sight of that. And I've seen it with kids where I, I've made the mistake, you know, like, oh, this kid, he can't, he can't do this. Well, you know what? Had I trusted myself as a coach, like the coach that the next team that he made, you know what? I, I could have maybe have gotten him to where he was and you, you know, I, I made a mistake. Uh, you won't hear me say that often, and I won't name the player, but, uh, you know, that's just my feeling, is that I think that we look too much at where they're at at point A, and I think we also look too much at it as, you know, oh, they can't do this, they can't do that. Well, what can they do? So I think the myth is, as I said, you know, what you see is what you get. That's a myth. No, I agree with it. I think um, you really have to look at that developmental arc, like where are they going to be? Um, and I really think a lot of times with a lot of kids, it comes down to their passion. If a kid is walking in the rink and it's it's work just to put those that equipment on and get on the ice, then they're kind of topped out. They might be better than you know most most of the other kids on the ice, but the other kids in the ice, if they have a passion and they have a real determination to improve their game, I'm going to take those kids. Absolutely. What do you got for number three, Coach? Number three. Basically, my number two when I thought of, oh, what can I choose? <laughs> I don't know. If we, we might be right on this. We might be different. Players who play the co- play. You want to pick players who play the coach's system. Uh, that's number three, uh, and I I disagree with that. I think that's I I think that's a myth. I think that the best coaches find ways that they can have the players that they have and tailor a system to work for them. I think you've seen that a lot with Bill Belichick in football. Um, they played two tight end sets when they had Hernandez and Gronk. Uh, they played a real, the first couple years when Brady was just starting out, they played a real pounding running style game with Antoine Smith in the backfield. And uh, then when they had Randy Moss, they were like the deep ball team. And you know, yep. Brady put up almost 50, he might have put up 50 touchdowns in a year. I think he did, yeah. Yeah, so it's like the best coaches find the system that works well for those players. They don't just say, well, this is my system figure it out they say those are my players i'll find what works for them yeah and i i agree on that and you know i think that players i think coaches do go out and look for those players that will fit their system that they're they're comfortable with but i do think as you said you know the the good the really good coaches you know they take those quality players and they figure out what works best for the team overall yes. and maybe you're a coach who's always ran a certain style for check i don't know i mean Really, it's not like we're running a whole bunch of different stuff here. But, you know, maybe you're a coach that does the, the power play this way. Well, maybe you got to switch it up because you don't have those those talents. You don't have that sniper on your team maybe this year. You know, it's, does that mean you're all of a sudden going to just, you know, well, I'm going to continue to still run a 1-3-1 one, one power play, but i got no guys on the flanks that can fire a shot. Or are you going to kind of mix it up and maybe go with an overload or uh, whatever the case may be. So I, I, I do agree with that. Um, you know, that, uh, 
you know, the good, the better coaches out there, they definitely they adjust to what they have as a team, and not every team's the same. I mean, I'll, I'll give an example this year. Last year, I had a team 16U. The team that I had this last year at 16U was not able to do some of the stuff that I've had with previous teams at 16U. So, did I keep trying to jam a square peg in a round hole? No. I mean, I did at first, but okay, once I realized it wasn't going to work, I got to adjust. I got to make, you know, make little, you know, change, changes here and there. Stuff that I've never done before. Um, and it was fun, kind of, because I got to learn. Um, you know, I got to learn what, you know, how to, how to teach different stuff. So, uh, no, I agree with you there, Coach. And, uh, you know, you, you don't always want players who play just your one set of systems. Because I think it also stunts us as coaches, too. Absolutely. I think, actually, you brought up a good point with the power play scenarios. Um, you know, one three one is really hand-specific. You know, you have to have the bumper be on his forehand. Uh, and, and the guy below the goal line has to be able to receive passes and potentially stuff it or or um, collect passes to make a forehand pass to, to the bumper. Um, and I had a, a, a couple years ago, we had a, I kind of modified it, was playing it more below the goal line. Um, it was a similar setup, but it was using different hands, especially for the player below the goal line, because I had noticed that, um, I believe it was the, 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 the Olympics, like four years ago, um, Switzerland or one of those teams was playing a below the goal line power play mm-hmm. where there was movement from the flanks and they were utilizing that player to, you know, gent like be the, be the quarterback for their, their power play below the goal line. And a, a parent told me, you said, you know, you're running your one, three, one wrong. And uh, he had all these, and I said, you, you don't <laughs> gotta love that. Yeah. Oh, I love, yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> it was really great. I said, well, you don't know who I have on my bench and you don't, know what who's a righty and who's left you want me to put my fourth line guy in that spot below the goal line he can't make a pass on his forehand anyway why would i why would i put him there and right. we're not even doing that system like it was it was a wild right. conversation and uh but i would say to to coaches who are especially with the younger teams like at the youth level um be careful with those overly structured formats where you're where you're in a power player penalty kill scenario and you're having to play to your forehand and backhand because it can really, you might be leaving some of your best players off the ice. You might want to figure out a better system because you want to get your best athletes in those best scenarios. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Luckily, I only had two today. So uh, number four. You are hammering um, me with the two, man. I know. No, it's okay. (laughs) I'll take it. I think this one is, uh, it's pretty good, especially with the, at the junior and, you know, collegiate and even pro levels is that, uh, Rookies, uh, rookies have to start at the bottom. They're the low man on the totem pole, and I think every team's got their own culture. Like, okay, first year's got to pick up pucks or something like that. You know, as long as it's not hazing, you know, we're fine. But um, that's not, you know, really. It's you look even you look at the freshmen that are coming in, like NCAA college. Granted, I mean, okay, sure, Fantilli was is a second, third overall pick, um, but. Like, look at some of these young first-year guys that are coming to the league. Like, they're not having to, quote-unquote, pay their dues as they used to once have to, where, you know, you're seeing more and more of these guys that are first-year players in that league that are getting that top, you know, top ice time. So I think for a lot of – there's a lot of misconception of, well, hey, guess what, you know, you're one of the youngest guys on the team, and, you know, you're going to be sitting out here – you know, and you'll have to really earn your minutes. Well, you should. You should have to do that. 
But, you know, as we talked with Coach Nick, you know, like about that defenseman who he's brought up, who's the youngest kid on the team, year, you know, year after year, and he's, you know, trying to get him looks, and he realizes just how good the kid is. Like, that's what we want to, you know, it, it's not that type of game really anymore where it's you're getting those kids involved right away. Now, again, some of them you do have to work your way up. Again, that's kind of knowing your role. Um, that's not a rock reference, but, uh, you know, but, I mean, it's like legitimately like you have to know your role within the team, but... I mean, I think really any on any given day, uh, any given Sunday, uh, you can really just kind of step right in and, uh, you know, you never know you, where you're at. So, um, again, those younger kids, those younger players, the rookies, you know, you're seeing a lot of teams get away with that. And I really think about when pro-wise, you know, outside of everything else that went on, Joel Quenville was notorious for not playing rookie players like in high roles like you had to really earn your spot and I remember there were certain guys that you know young prospects that were coming up like Brandon Peary who you know he he had an all right, all right career they were expecting more from him but you know he wasn't given that number two center spot behind Taves right away and everyone's like what are you doing he's the second most talented center on the team and it's nowadays like that you don't see that happen. Again, that was like 10 years ago. Like, those guys, if you're the most talented center, like, I mean, unless you're not being a 200-foot player, like we've already discussed, and beating into a horse, or beating the horse, um, you know, like, those guys are getting the chances right away. Look at how many rookies get, you know, top-end top ice. You know, very few guys are getting fourth line, third line minutes. Like, they're getting that. You're getting put in the fire. So, I think more or less what I'm trying to say is roster construction-wise as a player, like, don't be afraid to, you know, go in with, you know, knowing what your role might be, but don't be surprised if, hey, you know what, you might get an extra early crack at something at extra ice time or, you know, whatever um, earlier than you anticipate. I agree 100%. Uh, I got two kind of stories with that. Uh because I, I truly believe you play your best players. You play your best athletes. Uh, whether they're a first-year guy or a 10-year guy, you play your best players and you play to win. Um, and I remember the first year they had Jack Hughes in New Jersey. Uh, he started out in the top six, but then at the coach at the time, John Hines, he started to play him on the wing and started to play him on the third line because he was making a lot of mistakes and his minutes were diminishing. And, you know, you're playing guys who are marginal NHL players because they were in the middle of a rebuild ahead of Jack Hughes, right. who has this enormous ceiling. And I was like, this guy's going to be fired pretty soon. This, that's absurd. <laughs> Absolutely yep. absurd. So, uh, but then we've seen like Lindy Ruff has done a great job in developing Jack Hughes because he, he plays the, plays a ton out of him. Jack Hughes will make mistakes, but he makes every year he makes less mistakes. You know who else did that too? Uh, before you go into your second one, another player exactly. and big name, uh, guy who had great head of hair, always on ESPN, but with, what basically Barry Melrose did oh, to uh, Stamkos. Yeah. He buried him on yeah, the bench. Crazy. crazy. But uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, it's just, it's just nuts, though. Like, kids are going to make mistakes, but the, the potential is right. you play the potential for sure. <laughs> so sorry. Go ahead. No, I remember, but I remember being a kid and talk. I, my dad and I used to talk hockey a lot in the car, you know, just like a lot of hockey dads and their son. Uh, and there was a rookie goaltender with the Devils. It was a rookie goaltender, and uh, they were kind of going back and forth with the incumbent, a uh, gentleman named Chris Terreri, really good goalie, but not like an elite goalie, but a very, very good NHL goalie. Uh, and then he got hurt for like a two-week stretch, and my dad was like, 
I don't know. He, you know, he's Prairie's pretty good. You don't, you don't. Guy doesn't lose his job because he's injured. You you got to give him a shot to win it back. And I was like, this guy Brodor is pretty good, Dad. <laughs> this guy's I don't know, Dad. I mean, he's winning a lot of games and he seems pretty good. I just keep playing him. He goes on and wins the Calder that year. Yeah, won the Calder, won the Cup the next year, played 48 more years, you know. (laughs) So I think that uh, you play the most talented kids, and they're going to make mistakes, but if you're a good coach, you're willing to accept those mistakes because the ceiling and the potential is right down the road for you. Absolutely. All right, Coach, what do you got for number five here? All right, number five. I can't say each of them get better, but I'm going to give this one. Okay, scores will always be scores. Expound on that, please. Yeah, uh, so scores will be scores. Like as you move up, we always have, we have a kind of rule of thumb here in, in in the Eastern Hockey League. If you play in the Premier Division, if you have a lot of points, generally when you get to the next level at the EHL, it's um it's about half the production. Like if you score eighty points in the Premier, you're definitely a scorer there. But you're probably going to be a middle six forward, and you're going to maybe have 30, 40 points somewhere in that, in that ballpark. That's still a good year. It can probably eventually get you to college. But you're going to have to find other ways to get those top-end minutes. Um, so as you move up the ladder, kids, um, if you're a big scorer at Squirts, Peewees, you know, Bantam, Midget, um, don't neglect the other aspects of your game because eventually down the road, you're going to need those those skills. Um, Absolutely. Not everybody's Gretzky, not everybody's Patrick Kane, not everybody's Jack Hughes. There's only a handful of them. Right. You, you might not be them. So you got to find other ways to get on the ice. No, and that's that kind of goes back to the whole knowing your role, um, you know, and making being that 200-foot player that can play up and down the ice because, again, as you said, there's only so many spots to play in the top two lines and on the power play. Um, you know, and if you really want to continue to play and advance at the level that you are, you know, Teams, I don't think teams are going to be turning down guys because they they play defense well. You know, they're they're good in their zone. I mean, if a coach is looking for you know bottom you know bottom six guys of forwards or bottom you know you know third pair defensemen, coach isn't going to be turning down guys that are really good at you know defending and getting the puck out of the zone. They're just not going to happen. Um, but coaches will get rid of guys who you know what they're just not in that top six or. They're just not in that top two pair, and they're just really terrible off or defensively. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll keep you, but you're not. You're going to be a scratch unless one of the other top six guys or top pairing guys get hurt. Um, so, I mean, I think that's one of the things where kids, again, yeah, everybody wants to score the fancy goals, and I, I don't want to take that away from any kid. Um, but I think it's important that kids and players at any age. You know, they learned how to play on both sides of the puck, and that starts with, you know, proper angling that works on, you know, your defensive skating, your, you know, what you're doing with your stick skills, uh, body positioning, your checking, all that stuff. I mean, nobody says you can't score goals and be a good defender either, <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, look, again, it's going to be called the Bergeron tr- Trophy sooner or later. I mean, the guy's a, one of the most talented players in the league, and he's fantastic defensively. Crosby is literally was and is probably still one of the best offensive players ever. And he's also probably one of the best defensive centers no we've ever seen. You know, the guy gets so bored offensively that he had to go back and get better defensively because he needed a new challenge. So, <laughs> I mean, 
I, I disagree. Uh, I, and I don't disagree. Um, you know, just, you know, moving up levels, as we said before, as I said before, we see plenty of guys who are big time scorers in one league. And when they get to the next one, they just, they don't make it. Um, you know, and that's kind of the pyramid, um, how it works. So if you want to still be involved in that pyramid, you gotta, you gotta really sharpen all aspects of your game. No question. So, well, I think this is a good episode here with coach. Absolutely. And once again, thanks. Big shout out. Thanks to Nick Skurlick. We wish you a ton of success this year with the Maine Nordiques and the North American Hockey League. It's going to be exciting to watch, uh, his brand of hockey up in the North, North country of Maine. Yeah, definitely, with all those big boys up there. So, uh, yeah, so uh, for uh, I'm Trevor Carlo. I'm Andrew Trimble. Thanks for listening to episode 19, and we will catch you on the other side.